Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 73 of Radiance, my Fallout fan fiction. As always, I do hope you've been enjoying this little tale I've been weaving through the Fallout universe. And as always, I hope you can like, share, subscribe, and even leave me feedback wherever you can, either at fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. And hey, while you're at ghostnobody.com, check out Storm Rider. A trail of magic, fantasy, orcs, dragon girls, and so much more. Give it a try. You never know. You might like it. And while you're also there, you can pop into the ghostly link section. Follow the links through to Mortis in Smashwords. Pick yourself up a copy and embrace yourself in the story of Shaver Black, Shaver Silvertail, and her lovely human one-legged sniper in the zombie apocalypse. And you know. Help support me. Help me keep doing what I love and bringing these unique alien romance stories to all you lovely people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it. That's all Bethesda. I just own all the sexy, crazy tales and I'm still living in hope of them giving us Starfield. Where's Starfield? Let's get on with the show. Chapter 73. The bigger they are. The walk to Nuka World was quite a trek, even with his power armour doing most of the hard work. Seven was really starting to feel the strain of it, as was Chris by the look of him. Well, that was until Vess had noticed anyway, and now Chris was riding on the back of the massive Alpha Meteor Claw Girl as she tromped along quite happily. Honestly, Seven had known the Claws had some serious stamina from loving Visa as long as he had. They were like scaly fusion batteries and they just seemed to never bloody run out. Though, Vess snatched Chris off his feet and planted him on her back and he caught Visa eyeing him rather thoughtfully and he had a grin to himself inside his suit as he imagined himself riding on his ever-valiant claw steed into battle in a full suit of power armour or rather her running about ten steps and then face-planting into the dirt under the weight of it all. She was strong but carrying him the armour he was wearing, and the pack on his back might just be a tiny bit too much, even for her. But eventually, they reached a large platform, for a train system, no doubt, that seemed to lead to Nuka World, and by the look of it, it was still pretty much running, to their complete amazement. Though not as much amazement as the mercenary group that was camped out at the entrance when two large clawed, a dude in power armour and a human showed up on their doorstep. Though fortunately for the group, they decided to try talking rather than shooting the moment the little odd group walked into the concourse that led onto the platform. Though as the leader of the group walked up flanked by two soldiers, Seven could feel their numerous rifles being aimed at them from numerous hidden positions all around them. So he decided to take the liberty of encasing them in a telekinetic bubble to catch any shots, just in case they had to take time to break cover if needed be. The leader and her two soldiers were clad in what looked like olive-coloured military-style ballistic armour and was obviously meticulously well cared for and maintained. It screamed professional to Seven as he approached flanked by Visa and Vess, who incidentally still had Chris riding on her back, as she insisted in keeping him up there where she felt he was much safer. Though now he was supporting his plasma rifle just in case things did go sideways. Seven noticed a captain's rank badge on insignia on her shoulder 
and he recognised these from the enclave soldiers he'd seen in both the airship and the ones who had been fallen to his team. Greetings. We're here looking for a way through to Nuka World, Seven said as the two groups stopped about twenty feet from one another, and Seven could see the three of them nervously fingering their assault rifles as they glanced between the two large claw females flanking him. What's your business there, stranger? Are you a member of a raider clan? The woman said in an authoritative, but still obviously rather nervous voice. We're investigating rumours we've heard about a new breed of claw we've seen in those parts. Heard they've been causing some problems around there, and we think maybe we can help out. Seven said, never taking his eyes off the black-skinned woman, as her dark brown eyes darted from Visa to Vess and then back to him, with a shine of curiosity to them. You a Deathclaw tamer or something? She asked curiously and Seven chuckled and patted Visa's massive thigh, making her growl softly. Eh, something like that. Let's just say me and my friend up there have some, what, unique perspectives on them. And we think we can help the people on there, up there, not to only just understand them, but for the claws to maybe understand the people as well. We think we might be able to find some sort of Common ground that'll give both groups a little bit of a happy equilibrium, Seven said cheerfully. The captain snorted a laugh. You want people to find common ground with death claws? She said in a now rather amused sounding voice. Oh, it's easier than you'd think, human. I think you'll find with a little understanding and a little bit of compassion it goes a long way. Vess said in her best matriarch's voice, which she'd obviously used for scolding younger mischievous claws and keeping them in line in the past. The reaction from the three soldiers was instantaneous, as all three of their mouths dropped open in unison, and all three of them snapped their attention onto the massive claw female. Either you're the world's best fucking ventriloquist, or that death claw just spoke. The captain stammered as she looked up at Vess, who just smirked at her. Not so easy finding out that you're not the only sentient species on the planet like this now, is it? Visa said, and now their attentions all snapped to hers, their jaw was sunk even lower. Pretty soon they'd be able to use them as gravel scopes. Actually, they prefer the term claw, as they only bring death to those that threaten them or their loved ones. Otherwise, they're quite content to live in peace with anyone. So much as they're left alone, really, Seven said. How is this possible? The captain exclaimed, between, glancing between the two large claw females, before settling her mystified wide eyes finally upon Seven. Welcome to the truth, Captain. Guess the world's a lot more mysterious than you ever believed possible. You'd be surprised how many non-human species are sentient, as we are. And be actually quite happy to live in peace with us, if given half a chance. Now that I'm not saying that all claws are like my companions here, not even for a moment. But even the non-sentient ones are smart enough to respect boundaries for the most part. People leave them alone and don't infringe on their territory. Or if they must, at least show respects to their hosts, then they would be left be. I've seen entire towns that live with feral death claws as neighbours. And when their settlement is threatened by the enclave, the claws came out to fight for their friends. Because not only these people respected them, but they'd shown them that respect by giving them free food. 
and in exchange the claws had actually kept larger animals and dangerous predators, not to mention raiders, away from the town. It's amazing what can be achieved if people are just willing to take the time to try something different, rather than just, you know, shooting first. Seven said proudly as both claws puffed up in pride and nodded their agreement at his sides. Well, stranger, I'll say this, you certainly are an odd one, with a very odd way of looking at things. And to be fair, given that armour, I actually thought you were Enclave at first. Well, that was until I saw the paint job you got on that thing. So maybe I'm guessing you liberated that thing from them. And, well, I suppose that marks you as okay in my book as you're no friend of the Enclave. And to be fair, you didn't exactly come in here swinging and shooting either. So, maybe you do have a point on showing respects and how it gets things done better. She said, once again glancing at the two claws who nodded in complete agreement. So, Captain, what's the deal with the entry to Nuka World, then? Seven asked gesture into the train station behind the small group, and she glanced back where he indicated... Place is loaded with raiders. We got tasked to come down here and basically keep them contained. They've got their own little fiefdom on going on down there, where they basically happily kill each other over supplies and territory. And that's fine with everyone else as long as they're down there and killing robbing people, they aren't up here doing it. But that's kind of where it ends. And it's also where the civvies have got caught up in it. Kind of feel sorry for them. There was a whole settlement of traders down there before and a few satellite ones dotted around the old park too. And yeah, we've got a, and yeah, we've heard the stories as well of a whole new breed of claw, as you call them, floating around down there near the old zoo. Some crazy stories from what I've been hearing. Some something about mutated alligators or something, but I don't know about that, and I'm not going to go in there to find out either. If you want to, I'm not going to stop you, as that's on you. But I can tell you now that you'll regret it. So heed my advice, stranger. Turn around and head out. It just ain't worth it, she said. Seven sighed and nodded, getting the feeling he already knew where this was going. Thanks for the advice, Captain. And I do appreciate it, really, I do. But we came here with a job to do, and we're going to do it. And hell, if we get to save some claws and kill some raider fucks at the same time, hey, all the better in my book, I guess, he said, and she shrugged. All right, man, then it's on your head. Just don't say I didn't warn you. But for what it is worth, I do hope you make it through. This world has a whole lot of crazy in it at the best of times. But at least you and your friends there seem to be at least the good kind of crazy. Ain't too much of that floating around no more, she said and Seven nodded. Yeah, I hear you there, he replied. All right, listen closely. The best bet here is to walk the trail line. Don't catch the train. We locked down the train itself to prevent anyone else from falling into the trap of riding it, as it leads you right into a war zone like arena deathmatch gig that the raiders set up to trap anybody coming in. So your best bet is to stick to the maintenance shaft that runs parallel alongside the monorail itself. It'll reach the park and then split off and vanish into the park itself. Just whatever you do, don't follow the damn thing right to the end, or you'll regret it peel off before it reaches the platform, the captain said and Seven nodded. Thanks for the advice, he said and the captain held up a hand and then dug it into a pocket to produce a small folded up paper booklet. Here, you're probably going to need this. 
It's a map of the park. Hopefully it should point you in the right direction. And for what it's worth, stranger, I hope you do make it through. You do seem like the good sort to me, she said with a smile, and with that, her and her men turned and headed back to their posts, waving Seven's group through and onto the platform and on their way. Just as she said, the maintenance tunnel ran all the way through, and it was pretty dark and gloomy. Seven had used night vision to see more than a few feet in the inky blackness. The four of them were moving in a staggered line as there wasn't exactly a lot of room to manoeuvre in the tight tunnel and given that it was a pain in the arse in power armour he couldn't imagine how either Vess or Visa felt though by the constant clonk noises of horns meeting beams and then swearing he got the feeling it wasn't exactly pleasant. But finally after about an hour or so the small team finally reached the part that the captain had indicated a small split off that came out from the main shaft from what Seven had seen on the map, it was easy to see why the raiders had set up in this place, as it was incredibly well defensible on all sides, as it was near impossible to enter, except from the one place where the train ran. This provided a near enough natural choke point to control who got in, or in the case of what he'd already heard, out. A distinctly cold, slimy feeling was sitting in the pit of Seven's stomach, they might very well be dealing with a massive slave labour camp here, as raiders were not exactly known for being forgiving people, or good neighbours by anyone's stretch of the imagination. Ellie was pretty damn sure that given a choice most people would have chosen a nest that of claws as neighbours any day of the week. At least the claws were rational and could be reasoned with if you knew how. Jetted up raiders intended on killing you and taking your shit, or slapping an exploding collar on your neck, and taking you as well, well, not so much really. Seven spotted a submarine-style service access door, and after deploying his arm as strength to open it, the very rusty and stiff wheel handle, he poked his head out and looked around onto the darkened platform beyond it. It appeared clear, and off to his left he could see what the captain had been talking about. It appeared that the readers had built a wall out of corrugated metal and wood, to prevent anyone from getting off the train and simply being able to escape into the park. It looked like it would funnel them into some sort of into their clutches, kind of like a rat-style maze. No sooner had the four of them crossed the threshold of the door than Seven began to hear voices. He held up a hand to freeze his team in place and he listened and tried to locate where the speakers were coming from. They appeared to be on their side of the wall and by the footsteps he was hearing they were getting closer to them as well. Seven quickly ushered the two claws and one human into cover behind some of the large pillars and the group sat watching the wall where the telling glow was getting closer. Don't engage unless they spot us, he hissed quietly and everyone nodded. God, it's been so fucking long until we, since we've had some fresh meat around here, one of the raiders complained and the other one grumbled in agreement. So yes, because those gunner fucks have got the entrance locked down. Don't know what the fucker who fucking hired them, but they shoot first and shoot anyone on sight trying to leave. And they're fucking good at it too. They also stop anyone trying to get in these days as well. So no more freshies for us to play with. And no getting out to raid any of the local towns either. Fucking do-gooders. I thought the gunners were supposed to be as tough as it comes and don't take shit from anyone. So what the hell are they doing doing this kind of job? The first raider said in a gravelly voice. Yeah, I heard that too. 
I had a friend who used to run with them and said they were just like us, really, just in cleaner armour, until some new guy took over the reins, cleaned the whole lot of the outfit up, apparently, got rid of the chaff, as he called it. In other words, people like us, the second one said. Ha, I tell you, it's gone are the days when you could make an honest cap ripping off lazy fucking farmers. If we didn't have this place here, we'd be fucked. What with the Brotherhood showing up in Boston and clamping down on everyone, not to mention those mercenary clowns and towns keep hiring to protect them. It's getting harder and harder, man. Hell, we've even got those fucking gator claws running around in the fucking safari zone now. I mean, have you seen those fucking things? I thought their regular death claws were bad, but those fuckers, I tell you, man, it's fucking bad. Who places a no-go zone now? They keep sending in slaves to try and figure out where they're coming from. So far, not one of them's come back out either. They just find bits of them here and there. First one said, which made Seven smile inside his helmet. And then an idea crossed his mind as he motioned for them both Claws and Chris to stay hidden. As both raiders grounded the corner where Seven and his team were hiding, Seven simply stepped out in front of the two men. Hiya, fellas, he said with a cheery wave. What the ever-living fuck? One of them yelled and went to hoist his rather battered-looking pipe gun in Seven's direction. But before he got halfway up, both of his and his friend's guns just turned into a shower of loose parts in his hands, which clattered down onto the floor along with the bullets they'd had in them. Oh, come now, that's not very nice, is it? Seven said, holding out a hand towards them and hoisting the pair of them into the air, securing their arms and legs out to the sides like they were now affixed to invisible crosses. What the hell? Who the fuck are you? And how the fuck are you doing this? The second man, a rather scraggly looking thin man, who looked like his diet consisted entirely of jet and caffeine, exclaimed rather loudly. Me? Oh, I'm no one really. Just your friendly neighbourhood claw wrangler. They tell me I've got quite a talent for it. And let me tell you fellas, you haven't lived until you've managed to wrangle yourself a female alpha claw. Oh boy, that's a whole lot of energetic claw girl right there, Seven said, putting on a fake southern accent to fuck with the two men. From behind the pillars, he heard a soft purr and a pair of giggles, one of them very distinctly human. Claw wrangler? What the fuck are you talking about? Let us down now, the first reader yelled. He was a rather heavy-set man, who obviously made his way through life using his size to bully and intimidate others into getting what he wanted. Seven knew the type a mile away, so he was the target. Seven walked right up to the man and looked him right in the eye. Now, I don't suppose you fellas might be so kind as to tell me what the deal is around these parts. Guy has to know who's in charge now, doesn't he? He said, still holding his accent. It was more for if there were any more raiders on the other side of the wall that he hadn't seen or heard. It would kind of throw them off the trail and they, until they could get themselves set up to deal with this place. There's three gangs here. The operators, that's us. The crazy fucking disciples and the savages that call themselves the pack. Then there's an overboss who runs a whole show and keeps all the groups in line. The scraggly man said quickly and Seven turned his head to face him. Good to know. Now, where might one find said gangs? And said overboss, he asked. Don't tell us fucking nothing, Blades, the large man yelled and Seven turned to him again. 
Now, now, that's not very nice now, is it? Me and this fine gentleman here are having ourselves a nice conversation. And you just had to butt into it, didn't you? I can already see you're going to be a problem. So, shall I show you how I deal with problems of the raping, stealing, raiding and just generally scum of the earth style problems? Seven said, still keeping the accent but taking a whole new level of menacing to his tone. Go fuck yourself, you... The man began before Seven crushed his entire body down to the size of a meaty dripping soda can. Then he left fell to the floor with a wet thud as the incredibly dense meat tube hit the cement. No thanks. Don't need to fuck myself. Got a big sexy alpha claw girl who happily does that for me. And she's a whole lot better at it too, he said before hearing a soft growly purr behind the pillar again. Oh my fucking god! Who the hell are you? The scraggly man called Blades yelled in a panicked voice. Oh, I told you. Your friendly neighbourhood claw wrangler. I just forgot to mention that I have zero time or patience for raiding fucks. But now that that's all cleared up, you'd better start talking. Unless you want me to insert your new meat tube friend here into a bodily orifice, I'm pretty sure you're not going to like him to be in, Seven said. And Seven had never heard a man talk so fast in his life before. Once he was done, Seven nodded. So that's it. I've told you everything you know. I know. So you let me go now, right? Blade said in a rather hopeful voice. And Seven chuckled. Nope. That wasn't that part was never on the table. Can't have you warning your friends that were coming for him now, can we? He said. We? What do you mean, we? The skinny man yelled. And on cue, both Visa and Vest stepped out from behind the pillars doing their very best angry claw routine. Seven actually heard the piss hitting the cement very soon afterwards. With a flick of his wrists, Blade hit the cement and rolled over next to his friend. To anyone that found them, there'd just be two tubes of meat laid or rotting on the platform. Well, that was unless the rats or rad roaches got to them first, of course. If there was one thing that Seven had learned on his travels, you don't have mercy with raiders concerned, because they sure as fuck don't have any towards you. You are one scary fucker, Seven. You know that. Chris breathed that he looked at the two now wet-looking meat tubes that were only seconds before had actually been human beings. Only to my enemies, and those that would hurt innocent people. To everyone else, I'm as nice as pie. Remember, I'm just your friendly neighbourhood claw wrangler, he said, aiming that last part of Visa, who gave him a deep, throaty growl in response. Keep clawing yourself that, and this claw girl is going to wrangle you right out of that tin suit and into the nearest bush. She replied, making him laugh out loud. Promises, promises, he said, patting her large thigh again. Vest turned to Chris now. Don't you go calling yourself a claw wrangler. Just remember who wrangled who here, human, she said playfully as she stroked her human's head with her massive hand, messing up his hair. Oh, I don't know about that. I think I did a pretty good job of wrangling myself a sexy alpha matriarch claw, if I do say so myself. Chris shot back and Vest gave a very pearly and deep growl before turning to Visa. I see what you mean now, my dear niece. Their tongues may be made of silver and they just do make you want to do certain things like yank them into the nearest bush, she said and Visa nodded eagerly. See, I told you. I knew it wasn't just me, she said and Seven laughed before pointing towards the far end of the platform. Come on, let's go out here before horny claw girls start getting any more smart ideas or novel uses for the shrubbery around here. 
he said, getting two loud growls and a laugh in response. Getting out of the station unseen was pretty easier said than done when two of your teams consist of two massive claws and a guy in power armour. But thanks to the nightfall and most of the guards being cracked off their tits on some substance or another, they actually managed it, finally escaping out into the open area of the park itself unseen. Seven decided that their first shop stop should be the safari zone, given what he'd heard the raiders being scared shit of the gator claws, as they'd called them, and it seemed like a good idea to possibly set up a safe house for them to hide in, till they could really get their bearings and get to work here. So making sure they didn't run afoul of any roaming raiders who were wandering around the place, they made their way slowly over to the old zoo area in the north. The place was pretty big, wide and a large open area, with lots of cages and enclosures dotted about that had obviously housed a multitude of animals from around the world before the bombs fell, and ended everything. Now given this place had not been nuked, whether the zookeepers had been kind enough to let the animals go and let them take their chances at living through the fallout, or had just put them down was anyone's guess. But there was at least one species that had survived, and it didn't take them too long to spot one. As they were, to be fair, they weren't exactly easy to miss. Fucking hell, I'd say that thing's got to be at least 15 feet from tip to tail, as he stands at least 9 feet tall. Seven said quietly as they all hid it in a rather large bush, and watched the lumbering gate claw wander along one of the pathways that led around the enclosures. The large male appeared to be carrying what looked like a freshly killed radstag, and he was either going back to his home, or possibly his nest with a meal for himself and possibly his family. They didn't know enough about these claws yet to really determine if their ways mirrored that of the claws they knew and loved. Though Seven could quite easily see why they were called gator claws, as the large male's head was indeed reminiscent of an alligator in its shape and size, as were his dark patchy green scales and the fins that ran all the way down his back and along his wide massive tail that was being dragged along behind him. He quite literally looked like an oversized walking alligator. Think there'll be any sentient ones or do you think they're all ferals? Crest asked wonderingly. We don't know if that one is feral or not. Remember, it's not best to judge a claw by their outwards appearance. Until they open their mouth to speak, the only indicator I've seen is their eyes. Those of the sentients tend to be a little bit different in the fact that they have deep rich colours and they're far, far more intense than those of the ferals, Seven said. We take greater pride in our appearance too, Vess said a little indignantly and Seven nodded. Yeah, and there is that. Though when facing down an angry claw, it's a little bit difficult for a human to appreciate just how shiny her scales are, or how polished her horns are, to be fair. We only tend to notice those things if given long enough to fully appreciate them. Otherwise, it's big, massive claws and very sharp teeth that get spotted first. Seven shot back and Vess huffed. Okay, a fair point, I guess. It is a little hard to appreciate the effort a girl has taken on her scales if she's swiping long claws at you. She said and Chris patted her large tail. Though you do grow at a distinct appreciation of them when you get to be the one to wash and polish them by hand, especially the scales that no one else gets to see, he said with a playful wink and Vess gave him a soft growl. Are you forgetting we currently are in a bush, my beautiful silver-tongued little human? Do not for one second believe that the presence of my beloved niece or her beloved life-mate 
will keep you safe from my passions, should you keep pouring that gasoline on the flames of my heart, she purred softly. All right, guys, gator claws first, pouncing on tempting human second, okay? Seven said, and Vesp simply huffed. Spoil sport, she replied. Seven and the others followed the lone male gate claw at a distance as he wound his way through the enclosures and paths until finally he entered what appeared to be a large caged in area. Seven, Chris and the two claws managed to actually get close enough to the cage so they could peer inside and what they saw inside warmed their hearts. At the rear of the cage there appeared to be what looked like a concrete enclosure kind of looked like an oversized shed. The big gator claw tromped his way over to it and let loose a deep resonating call as he got close. Out of the door appeared four heads, one of which was blatantly his mate by the way she was nearly as large as he was, and just like Visa and Vess, had some very distinctly feminine shape to her characteristics. And as she stepped out into the open, she was quickly followed by three much smaller claws, which were obviously their children. The two large gate claws greeted one another by dipping their long snouts and pressing their foreheads together before rubbing their long snouts together side by side before finally the big male presented his prize to the female just as the three little gate claws all quickly gathered around them obviously excited by the return of their patriarch and the spoils of his hunt. It was obvious that the big male was happy that his hatchlings would be going to bed full with full bellies this night. So they do have nests like us, but it appears that they live in smaller family units. Interesting, Vess said as all the gator claws vanished back into their home to obviously begin their feast of Radstad venison. Well, that's a start, and by the looks of it, there's obviously affection and empathy there too. And by the way, he greeted his life mate and his children. So I believe we have a starting point on how we could possibly approach them. But I think observation would be more observation would be a good idea as well, because we need to ascertain if there's any sentient claws among their number. Because if there are, it would be a hell of a lot easier for us to establish communication with them, and trying rather than trying to build bridges from scratch with the ferals. Seven said it, and the others nodded in agreement. Agreed. Even our feral brethren can be quite testy at times, so it would be advantageous. To have someone who could facilitate communicate with, communications with them easily, Vess said. All right, so plan in hand. Let's find somewhere to lock down for the night and pick this up in the morning, Seven said. And the group silently slipped away from the happy Glade Claw home and back into an outbuilding that Seven had spotted on the way over here while trailing the male Gator Claw. But little did they know that this time they weren't the followers, but the followed. The building was obviously once been a pump house of sorts, designed to feed the water pools for either semi-aquatic animals like the alligators, as well as possibly the water troughs of the enclosures for the animals to drink. But the place was made of solid concrete, a few foot thick, and it had a big heavy steel set doors. As far as any one of them could see, it was only way in and out. So once they'd cleared the place to make sure they weren't going to wind up tripping over a snoozing gaper claw having in stumbled innocently into their home, they finally secured the two-storey building using some metal rebar they'd found to bind the door shut. Once they were sure it was safe inside, Seven stepped out of his power armour. The only windows into the place were tiny little slit-like affairs that were set pretty high above their head height, 
and no way in hell a claw of any variety could actually get through one, even if they could peek through. Though strangely enough, all the glass itself was actually intact in every single one of them, which these days was a pretty rarity. The building itself was big enough that even though it set up a communal cooking and eating area down the far end, there was still more than enough room for both players to have a little bit of privacy when sleeping, as the massive pump in the middle of the place made a rather nice dividing wall, though to be fair, the group was somewhat used to sharing the same room in these days. Seven made a small fire to heat up some rations from the supplies they brought with them, though he told them it was only for cooking as he didn't want the fire running for too long, as the flickering golden flames would be easily visible from outside, and any late-night wandering claws would easily spot the glow in the high windows, and they may come to investigate. Though Vest did remind him that the smell of cooking food might very well do that anyway, as there were few things that motivated and determined as either a hungry or horny claw of any type or gender. Once the meal was cooked, Seven extinguished the fire and instead used a small powered lantern with an improvised cone attached to the top to direct the soft blue light downwards and away from the windows so they could finally sit and eat in peace. As they did, they discussed their plans for tomorrow. I believe we should go out, avoid going out too early as that will be the time that most hunting claws will rise to ensure they have a full day to hunt their prey. So I believe it would be smart to let those hunters head out for the day while we, before we finally venture out and poke around the park. Though we must be respectful, these are claws' nests. We are in their territory and their homes. We do not simply want to be walking into another claws' nest, especially one that has hatchlings present. Otherwise we will be met with rather instantaneous force from the partner guarding said nest, Vest said in seven nodded agreement. An easily understandable concept, as human families are exactly the same. I think it might be wise if one of us heads out and does a little hunting of our own, not only to supplement our own food supply here, but also so that we might have some offerings to present as a symbol of our intent to any claws we stumble across. We want to show these good claws that we mean them no harm and that we come in peace and will respect their sovereignty of their nests and territory, Seven said, and Vess nodded approvingly. This male of yours thinks like a claw, dear niece. I see why you chose him. Like my beloved human, he knows the way of honour and respect, she said, drawing said human into her lap and rubbing her, wrapping her arms tightly around him as he tried in vain to eat his stew unmolested. Visa nodded and very soon Seven found himself sat upon a scaly, muscly seat as well, though she didn't hug him tight enough to stop him eating his stew. He knows a great many claw secrets, this one, dear aunt, like how to wrangle an alpha female into his nest and to make it so she never wants to leave, she said in a deep, resonating purr that told Seven all that teasing he and Chris had been doing this day was not going to go unrepunished or unrewarded whichever way you chose to look at it. Indeed, I do believe that he's been passing those claw-wrangling secrets and skills along to his protégé here, as once I had him in my nest, he made it so I never wished to leave it ever again, either. Though, no matter how hard I try, he just keeps putting these annoying coverings back on upon himself, so it's very frustrating. It makes a girl want to roar in frustration at it all. Vess said playfully while gently stroking the side of Chris's face and teasing her claw tip through his hair gently. 
I know, auntie. Spare a thought for me, though, because not only do I have to deal with the frustration of these accursed coverings, but I have to deal with that blasted thing hiding my male's beauty from my eyes as well, Reza said, hooking a thumb towards Seven's power armour suit, which stood like a silent guardian just off to the side away from them. Well, I think now that we are nested down for the night and we are fed and watered, I believe there should be no more need for such accursed things. Don't you, my dear niece? Bess said, and both Chris and Seven swallowed hard and glanced at one another. I couldn't agree more, though I do believe we must keep our voices to nest levels, as we are hidden within the territory of others. We do not wish to wake them with jealousy, now would we? Reza said, and Seven felt her grip tighten on him possessively. Ah, so frustrating. Oh, to roar free and true of the joys of our beautiful humans. Oh, well. I guess we'll just have to make do with snarling right into their mouths now. That should muffle things nicely, Vess said. Good plan. I like it, Reza said. And with that, both Seven and Chris suddenly found themselves dangling from a female claw shoulder and facing one another. Well, see you in the morning, I guess. Or rather, I hope, Seven said, and Vess vanished out round the pump and out of sight. Hope is the right word, Seven said, thought to himself as he was promptly deposited on their oversized bedroll and promptly pounced upon by a very fired-up visa. So fired up that neither of them actually heard the shocked and very curious gasp from the window high above them, where a silent observer was watching their coupling with great interest. So that was chapter 73, ladies and gentlemen. So Will Seven and his little crew managed to break through and deal with the Gator Claws. Will they manage to make an alliance? Or will they get driven out of their area? And who was the silent observer that was watching them with such curiosity? Only going to be one way to find out the answer to those questions and so many more. Going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.